Hi, everyone, and welcome to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder, and this is the program where we dig deeper to understand what really matters most in business. I'm a senior director at CFGI, and if you'd like to learn more about me, you can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Today, we're going to be talking about leadership, what it means, how to do it right, with Randy Dial, who's a managing principal at CLA. Randy, welcome to Behind the Numbers. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, so CLA is Clifton Larson Allen, but I think you guys just go by CLA. But why don't you introduce yourself and tell the audience a little bit about who you are? Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate the opportunity. So my name is Randy Dial. Uh, I will be starting my 24th year this year with CLA. So I have been with this firm my entire career. Um, and I have several roles. Uh, I'm the managing principal of a geography for our firm. So the state of Indiana, uh, I, I'm the managing principal for that state. I also am the managing principal for what we call an industry. Uh, and we have launched a brand new industry in 2021 called professional service organizations. So I'm leading a charge of growing that client base, any organization that's considered a professional service organization. Uh, and lastly, I'm on the board. I serve on the board of directors for our firm. I'll be starting my second year doing that. So excited to be here. Great firm. And uh, I've had a great experience. Uh, and I love the topic of leadership. Yeah, I know you do. But I want to call you out on one little thing that you didn't mention in the intro about yourself. We have one thing in common in that we're both what we call valuation guys. You're a valuation professional as well. I am. So my client serving aspect is, yes, all 23 years, going to be 24, I have done valuation. So I help companies with finding out what they're worth for a variety of purposes, valuing intangible assets. Absolutely, you're right. We have that in common. Yeah, Thanks for and, calling and, that out. And, and as I do too, but I, I wanted to call that out because for the folks who are watching and listening, when they hear this conversation about leadership, I want them to have the proper frame and context, what your lens is with you know, all that you do and, and your complete background, but also in connecting that dots as a valuation expert. So I think that's important. So let's jump in. Let's, let's talk about corporate culture. When we were doing our prep call, uh, we were kind of commiserating that a traditional corporate culture is has been eroding, really, during the, the whole COVID pandemic and the lockdown and work from home situation. Um, what's been your experience at, at your firm with regard to the, the culture and, and how have you guys tried to maintain it during these times? Yeah, you know, CLA has always been big on culture. Uh, it, it can be an overused term. And so if you really want to have a good culture, you need to focus on it. And I think 2020 highlighted how important culture really is. Uh, and, and the way I look at culture is, is simply, you know, you can think of a car or a plane. I don't care what it is, but they need fuel to run. A firm, a company needs culture as its fuel. If you have a good culture, you are going to grow. You're going to be profitable. You're going to retain people. You're going to attract people. Culture is the fuel of an organization. And I think 2020 showed that, boy, you better focus on keeping that fuel as high as you can to keep that organization running at all cylinders because we dealt with about everything we could deal with in one year, right? From the political chaos, the COVID chaos, the, the unrest chaos. I mean, you name it, it came at us. And so we have been huge at focusing on culture and we can dive into all of the different aspects of culture that I consider, but it is the fuel of an organization. Without it, you're not going to have any of those, those attributes. Yeah. And the addendum that I always add to that is that it also directly impacts business valuation. It's, it's the people. So let, let's talk a little bit about what really is a good culture. I, I do want to get your perspective, and I know the folks who are, who are watching and listening will certainly appreciate. When we think about culture, like you said, there's a lot of discussion around that. How do you define what really constitutes a good corporate culture? 
Yeah, there's a lot of sub-segments to that, but I'm going to start with, I guess, probably three, right? So number one is leadership. Uh, leaders have to lead by example. Some examples of that, right, is if your leadership is not good at discipline management, you're not going to have good culture around discipline management. Um, in 2020, when we're trying to get people back into the office cadence, if your leaders aren't coming to the office, you're not going to have some of your people come back to the office, right? Culture starts with leaders following and, and being an example for others to see uh, what they're doing. Another one is simply communication. I, I'm going to tell you what, you have to over communicate in a year like 2020. You've got to communicate all types of things so that your culture, your people, your constituents know what's going on and they can stay up to speed given we're not seeing each other, right? So communication is so important. And then the last one I would say is transparency. Um, you, you've got to let people know everything you can. Um, you've got to let them know what's going on in the geographies. You've got to let them know what's going on in the industries. You've got to let your people know what's going on in your organization as transparent as you can, because that builds trust and trust is going to lead to a culture of, again, growth and retention and attraction. And so I think you've got to have those three things, transparency, great communication, and just leaders leading by example. Yeah, completely agree. You're, you're, you're preaching to the choir, as we say, but uh, it's, it's all good. And, and it's great to hear you say it from your lens. Um, when you talk about communication and transparency, completely agree. A lot of uncertainty in 2020, and frankly, there's a lot of uncertainty now as we're heading into this new year and what that's going to mean in terms of not only just business, but where people are going to be working from and the whole dynamic of this interpersonal relationship that we, we call corporate culture. From your perspective, is it okay in, in being transparent to say that you don't always have the answers? You know, as a leader, it's okay to say, I don't know exactly what's happening, but here's what we think, here's what we feel, here's what we intend. Absolutely. I, I mean, uh, take us back to mid-March. I, I told you I serve on the board of directors. I will tell you, we had to put some projections together, some scenarios together. Where is this going? None of us knew, right? No one knew what the uncertainty was going to bring. Were we not going to grow? Were we going to lose clients? Could clients pay our bills? What costs could we cut? There was so much going on in that chaos. It's of course you can tell your people, look, leadership's on top of it. We're doing everything we can, but we don't know every answer and how this is going to play out. So you bet. I think people need to know that we don't have all the answers. We still don't have all the answers. We're still in the midst of this, as you well know. Um, and, and since you're a valuation guy, right, subjective, right, is a huge word in valuation. It, it's an art, not a science, right? So there's always an unknown, but you have to put together the most relevant facts and evidence you can and just believe in where you're heading. Is the yeah. best way I would put it. Yeah, agreed. I think oftentimes folks in leadership roles sometimes feel like they have to have all the answers. And if they don't, it may be a sign of weakness. And rather than communicate the uncertainty and even just you know, empathetically sharing that, hey, look, we're all in this together, uh, rather than trying to appear or fearing to appear weak, they, they may not say anything. Right. Yeah. So that's why I wanted to get into that. Now, you actually built your culture there. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, a quick just story about the Indiana practice specifically. So I, I have been the managing principal starting my seventh year now. 
Um, and I will tell you, I took over a culture here in Indiana that just was not one of the better cultures in CLA. A uh, lot of reasons for that. I won't go into all of those, but you know, we were very siloed and we weren't good at what we call seamless integrated capabilities, which is where groups really work together and give that client its best service experience we can. Um, we were very siloed and they ha- we just had not had leadership here that brought all of that together. Um, and I could see the talent that Indiana had as I grew up in this practice. I, I told you, I'm in my t- almost to start my 24th year. I could see the talent sitting here, but boy, if we could bring and harness that talent together, what a powerful culture we could build here in Indiana. And day one, I knew that. And it took time and it took energy and it just took time. And now I will tell you, we've got one of the best cultures that that I've ever been part of, one of the best cultures, I think, across our firm. And it's fun. We have retention. We are attracting. We're growing and we're profitable. Those are the four things I started with. And we're hitting all of those. And it's fun to watch. Yes, I've been a big part of that and I've led it. But the people that I work with here also have been leading by example one of the big things that i keep pointing out and they now learn have learned what culture is and how important it is to running a great practice so it's been a great experience yeah randy for folks who are watching and listening and want to learn more about you or how they might work with you what's the best way for them to reach out uh, absolutely. So our website is CLA Connect. You can find me on there. My email is my first name dot last name, Randy, R-A-N-D-I-E dot dial, D-I-A-L, at CLAConnect.com. And of course, I'm on LinkedIn. Look me up, connect with me, hit me up there. I'm a huge LinkedIn user. Sounds good. We have about three minutes to go in this first segment, but I want to just drill into something you just talked about with regard to implementing your culture. Um, you mentioned you alluded to metrics, retention, profitability. And when I speak about culture and engagement and so forth, I I try to connect the dots and and get into the numbers to demonstrate that there really is this ROI when you do the right things from a culture perspective. Can you just elaborate a little bit more on the the metrics, if you will, so that folks can really wrap their head around it? And again, you're evaluation guy, so additional cred there, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you want to know if what you're doing is working and time will tell if you are tracking the results. So I will tell you from my perspective in Indiana, how do I know that we have a good culture? Because we've taken a practice in the last six years and we've almost doubled it in in revenue. Number one, that means we're serving clients well. That means we're helping each other. We're delivering those seamless capabilities. Number two, um, our profitability has increased. What does that mean? Well, we're adding more value to our clients, right? Because without adding a whole lot more people. And what I mean by that is our firm has so many offerings We may not have those people sitting here on the ground in Indiana, but our people know our clients need that service. They connect them to someone in the firm that can help them and our revenue and our client experience grow. So again, you see that profitability metric. And then my favorite is just our people. Our people growth, if you look at our chart, I just delivered that this week in our kickoff address. It's unbelievable. Look at what happens when we actually have a good culture. We can grow people. We can give great experiences to more people. We can pay people more money. All of that follows culture. And that's why I say that's the fuel. It, It doesn't matter what metric you point to. Culture is the fuel that drives an organization. Good stuff. I think that's a good spot for us to take a quick commercial break. So, Randy, you sit tight. Folks watching and listening, we're going to take a quick break to pay a few bills. We'll be right back on Behind the Numbers.
boardwalks built for fun. Legendary rock and roll clubs. Casinos by the ocean. Now that's New Jersey. 130 miles of beautiful beaches, solid rock, and everything in between. Look in the window. Now that's New Jersey. Plan your New Jersey trip at visitnj.org. Hey everybody, welcome back to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder, and today we're talking about leadership and culture with Randy Dial, who's a managing principal at CLA. Randy, I just want to continue a little bit further on the topic that we uh, were, were finishing up on in the first segment on, on culture, and ask you, how long did it actually take you to implement the cultural change that you've described? Because when I talk to leaders, CEOs, and so forth who got intentional about it and really bake the culture into the DNA of an organization, they say it's about 18 months to, to 24 months before people really understand that this isn't just some gimmick, that we actually are taking it seriously. What did you experience? Yeah, I, I would say that's that's fairly accurate. You know, when I became the managing principal for Indiana, my first year was, you know, wow, you're just trying to get your bearings, right? You're trying to make sure people know who you are and why you've been put into that role. Um, and you're just trying to figure out how you slowly start to integrate some of the things that, that you want to bring to the culture. Uh, so the first 12 months, you know, is just really about getting things in place. Year two is when you should start to see some of those changes take effect. I would say in my experience, I finally knew it was working right at about that 18 month time frame. Um, I had seen some client things happen in the office. I had seen some people in the office working together. Honestly, I resat people in our office in a different way. And I could see how that was starting to pay dividends just by sitting people differently and making sure that we had just that communication channel open, which is so important. So highly agree with that. I'd say 18 to 24 months is what it's going to take to really start seeing a culture e evolve. Yeah, I want to ask you about getting buy-in. Again, some of the uh, anecdotal feedback that I get from talking to leaders, um, you can have the greatest intention from the top of the organization, but there may be one person, one manager who, quote, doesn't get the memo or doesn't buy in, and they can really poison the waters for everybody else and really derail this culture change. What's your advice for uh, our audience on how to get that buy-in from everybody? That's where the strong leadership comes in, right? When you step into this chair or this leadership role, you have to be poised and ready to make those types of tough decisions. I, I'll be honest, I had a few of those myself, right? I just knew in my heart they were not going to be good for our culture going forward. They weren't going to buy into some of the things that we were trying to roll out. And so you have to make a choice to show the team we are changing and we're moving forward. And you may have to make some changes to the personnel to do that. No question. Mm -hmm. And those are very hard. Um, but if you want to be a leader and you want to show people culture is what we're going to focus on, you may have to make some of those tough choices. Yeah. So one of the components of culture or the byproducts is the employee engagement, which is what drives the discretionary effort, right? The going above and beyond. Were you um, able to measure or you know, ob observe, quantify in some specific way the shift in engagement as people were buying into the culture? 
Absolutely. You know, I, I'll go back to what I started with, with communication, transparency, and leadership, those three items. I would say one of the biggest things that, that this location needed for a culture change was they needed communication. They needed to know what was going on. We didn't have that historically when I was coming up through the office, and, and I really didn't like that. I didn't know how well we were doing to budget. I didn't know how well we were, what clients were we winning, what was going on. I think it's critical that you do that. And then when people start to see and hear those things as that culture starts to get rolling, they then become more engaged and they wanna be part of some of the things that you're communicating. Uh, we have a young advisory council, uh, right? It's a group of young people that do nothing but get people involved. They're a fuel of the local office. So getting them engaged and then bringing that to the culture. It's, it's just people get engaged as you get, you start having fun, right? If you have yeah. a good culture, you start having fun, people will become engaged and we could see that happening in a very fast rate. We could see it in our retention. We could see it in our hiring. We started to become known, our brand. People wanted to work for CLA. So I'd say it just start, you start to feel it if yeah. you start to roll out the culture like you should. Yep, and there's that upward spiral. Let, let's shift yep. gears just a little bit. It's a related topic, but I, I know that you're big on, on coaching. And maybe you can start by explaining the difference, the difference, if you will, between leadership and coaching, or if they're identical. Yeah, we're, we're huge on coaching as a firm, and I personally have been a big part of that nationally. I love coaching people. Coaching to me means you're stepping out of kind of the day-to-day. -day. Let's put it that way. You're not a supervisor. You're not there to help them get better at you know, T schedules and tax returns. You're a coach for their career. Being a coach means you're going to listen and you're going to help guide them as to what's best, best for them from a personal standpoint. Um, we have different career paths here at CLA. Some are, I want to be a principal, right? I want to go out and I want to hit new market growth. I want to go for it. We also have a path where I just want to serve clients. I love just doing engagement work and getting to know my clients and bringing them value. Well, part of that coaching stratum is to really get to know the person you're coaching and help guide them. Where do you want to go in the firm? Some people have no interest being a principal. They don't want, they don't want to do that, and that's okay. But that's part of that coaching, right, is really getting to know their heart and them as a person and guiding them that's going to make them the most fulfilling career that they ever envisioned. Also part of being a good coach is making sure they know maybe this is not a fit for them, right? If you're truly a good coach, you're not just going to keep pushing someone along in a profession that you know that they don't belong in or that is not good for them. A good coach is going to say, look, I, I think maybe it's best if this is the route you take. Um, and so I'm a big believer in that. And you know what that does? It builds trust. And again, it builds that retention and attraction uh, piece uh, uh, from a workforce standpoint. Yeah. So for the audience, when they think about coaching programs or formalizing some kind of coaching conversations, probably important to point out that not every leader, every manager is necessarily cut out to be a coach, right? Right. That's right. Yeah. I, and that's, that is very difficult um, because everyone wants to be a coach. Everyone wants to help the workforce, but there are just certain people that just aren't as good at it. They maybe don't know enough about the firm or about the office or about the industries to be a coach. You kind of have to be all knowing is what I say. Um, and just some people just aren't good at that. And, and, and that's hard to vet out because if you have some bad coaches, it can impact your workforce. So that is a very difficult thing to assess. Yeah, Absolutely. so what are some of the tips you might offer to our audience on how to identify the folks who may not be the best of coaches and shouldn't be in that particular role? Because you're, you're spot on. If you have the wrong person giving guidance and advice, man, that, that's a downward spiral you don't want to get onto. 
Yeah, we, we all the time allow people to kind of assess their coach relationship from the coachee standpoint. So if our coaches ever feel like they're not getting enough or, or they're hearing others having these great coach relationships and they don't feel like they're getting that, reassess, look for a new coach, talk to leaders in the office, talk to the managing principal. We try to really communicate if you don't feel like you're getting that coach relationship that CLA talks about that you really should have a need, make sure you're bringing that up to others so that we can help align you to the right person. Yeah, that, up, that upward feedback that you just alluded to is critical. Too many, we'll call them formal performance appraisals, don't allow for that. So oftentimes leaders don't really get that kind of response. So that seems to be a big difference maker. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, sometimes in those coach discussions uh, that I will have, I will ask certain things around myself and, and how do they think some of the leaders are doing and get some of that upward feedback. Those coach discussions are very confidential and stay between people, but I think it helps assess some of the upward and the way people look at some of the, the leadership. Absolutely. Yeah. Randy, how can people contact you if they want to learn more about you or the firm? Yeah, website is claconnect.com. They can look me up on LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn. I'm on it a lot, so they can ping me there. And then my email is first name last name dot last name at claconnect.com. It's Randy R A N D I E dot dial at claconnect.com. Great. Let's talk a little bit about building future leaders. So, young folks inside your organization. Uh, looking for that, that opportunity to grow in their leadership abilities. We have about five minutes to go here, so we don't have too much time, but what's your advice and counsel for the audience on how to build young leaders and that succession plans within firms? Uh, give them every opportunity you can as early as you can. I'm a big believer in that. Get them involved in the young advisory councils or YACs or things in your organization that young people can become part of. Get them out to the market. Have them shadow you on client visits or or, or customer visits. I, it doesn't matter what organization you are. Get the younger people involved. Two reasons. One, they want it. If you don't, someone else is going to, and so they're not going to stick around. And number two, they need to develop. We all had our opportunities to develop. I shadowed and, and, and had mentors that were unbelievable to me, and they got me to where I am today. And I know how important it is for our younger generation to have that kind of opportunity. And so I would encourage you, get them involved and give them every opportunity you can right out of the gate. Now, what do you say then to those young professionals who are now being asked to come with you to shadow on a, on a client visit, for example, who may be apprehensive and may not be certain that this is an avenue that they want to pursue because maybe they, to your earlier point, much prefer just you know, doing the work, so to speak. How do you get them comfortable in understanding that these are skills that maybe help them to be a better rounded person going forward and overcome that initial fear, perhaps? Yeah, I think that's just that that intimate discussion that you have. We all had it, right? I had no idea I was going to get into business development or lead an office or lead an industry, but I had people early coach me about these are the things that you need to get good at, or if you don't get good at them or they're not interested to you, that's the career path discussion. Where should you go? Maybe this is not the place for you. So it just becomes that intimate relationship discussion, which is why it's so important to get to know your people, spend time with them and be present. Yeah. That's why the remote is so difficult, right? People need to feel and touch and just be part of a culture. And that's why I'm a firm believer in, in just trying to get people to, to just be in person as much as you can, uh, as often as you can. I know it's hard right now, but it's important for development. 
I've got one more question I'm going to try and squeeze in here, maybe 60 to 90 seconds left here. But as we look forward, um, seeing the light at the end of the tunnel with vaccines and so forth, and ultimately at some point, hopefully resuming something, I don't want to call it a new normal or even going back to the way it was because we have to learn from 2020. But when we're now getting back in the office and we're starting to roll out those kinds of conversations, what's your advice for folks and how are you thinking about introducing that topic and establishing what these new parameters are going to look like? I think that's all subject to debate and a lot of unknown right now. I mean, I will tell you that here in my market, we have a back to office plan. We're kind of getting people back a couple of days a week if we can. Um, I think Q1 is going to be just kind of a let's let's get through busy season and Q1 and, and it's it's winter and it's it, let's just kind of buckle down and serve clients the best we can. I think Q2 and beyond is is remains to be seen. We're hopeful that as the weather warms up and the vaccine gets out, I think things start to loosen up a little bit. Maybe travel starts to increase, people get more comfortable, but you know, my advice right now is really Q1, just continue as is. And, and from CLA's perspective, just serve the, the heck out of our clients and give them everything they need and try to help them. That's really good stuff. Randy, thank you so much for joining us on Behind the Numbers today. It was great having you here. I'd love to do it. Thank you for having me. That's my pleasure. You've been uh, watching Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder. We've been talking about leadership with Randy Dial, who is a managing principal at CLA in their Indiana office. Please be sure to hit the subscribe button so either you stay in contact with us and know that all that we're up to. And we will see you again on Behind the Numbers. Take care, everybody.